could you just introduce yourself to us, please? Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm John Abbott. And what do you do? Um, Get out of here. John is having trouble telling me about himself because of Jeffrey. That's the very unpodcast-friendly rooster who keeps interrupting him. Jeffrey the rooster and John live on a farm in Milledgeville, Georgia, population 17,000. It's about two hours southeast of Atlanta, and we visited them to talk about a farm staple, the tractor. Growing up, I was used to riding the older tractors that were just a straight shift diesel engine tractor. Really, the only electrical wiring on it was from the battery to the starter and headlights. But that's not how tractors are now. Now, the tractors can basically control themselves. You're just up there in case something malfunctions. John climbs into the cab of a John Deere 5075E. This is our newest tractor that we've gotten. He puts the key in the ignition and starts it up. When I start up, and then once it's cranked. Once it's cranked up and running, well, it's more like a cell phone on wheels than the tractor he grew up with. In fact, as soon as he's aboard, John pulls out his phone and fires up an app to see how his tractor is doing. I can actually go on my app and go to my live dashboard, and it'll show me every everything the tractor's telling the computer, the computer's telling my phone. It's telling him the outside temperature, that his coolant is working. My fuel temperature, my fuel level, how much fuel I'm consuming, how fast I'm going. Which, on the one hand, is kind of incredible to have all this information right there on your phone. But on the other hand, if all that is Bluetooth-enabled and constantly connected to the Internet, well, someone can break into it. It's hackable. And if some bad actor got into the network they all share, well... If a hacker could come up with a system to shut all the combines down during harvest, it would create a severe disruption. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. In the past year, the world's food supply has been under attack. Ransomware actors brought the world's largest meat processor to a standstill. The war in Ukraine has hobbled grain shipments. And now there's a new threat on the horizon, the ability to shut down farm equipment with a few well-placed pieces of code. Today, we look at the hackability of the most important piece of farm equipment since the horse. Today's tractor isn't John Abbott's straight-shift diesel engine anymore. It's gone super high-tech. And that means a whole generation of farmers who proudly MacGyvered repairs with duct tape and a wrench are now dealing with error messages and computer code. All these changes mean hackers have a fresh target, the world's food supply. We've always looked at food supply as being vulnerable, and we're seeing now very tactical ways of how this sector could be exploited and compromised. Stay with us.
If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. The master tractor hacker these days is a guy who comes from Australia. His hacker name is Sitcodes. I'm Sitcodes. I'm a white hat hacker from Australia. Uh, I live in Asia and I hack for a living. Actually, he does more than that. You know, companies reach out to me, want me to hack their things, or I reach out to companies with things that I've hacked into. And uh, that's what I've done in this case with the John Deere stuff. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of blow, blown up a little bit bigger than expected. Sitcodes is a penetration tester, someone who's hired by companies to find vulnerabilities in their networks before the bad actors do. And what has made him the latest king of farming hacks is that he figured out how to bypass the digital locks on a John Deere tractor, kind of like the iPhone jailbreaking that was so popular a few years ago. His hack would allow farmers to mucky around with the tractor's touchscreen console, something that companies like John Deere have said they can't do. And that means, technically, they can't go in and fix their own tractors when they break, like they used to, before tractors got so high-tech and complicated. Yeah, so tractors are kind of like this thing that I've never been inside of, so I've never actually been in a tractor. It just seemed really interesting to find a niche that nobody was hacking, or hacking publicly. So it became his pet project, and he started by buying a John Deere tractor touchscreen. Yeah, I bought one, yeah, for eBay, so yeah. He paid $7,000 for that console display without the tractor. Not easy to find, apparently. And then he just cracked it open and restored the factory settings. I can reset my own tractor. And in fact, I did bypass that with a guy, a guy's help from Brazil. So this guy in Brazil gives him John Deere's official software. He downloads what he needs to break into the system. And to prove that he could now install whatever he wanted, he uploaded a slightly modified first-person shooter game from the 1990s called Doom. Instead of a shooter, there was a farmer. Instead of a gun, a farmer was riding a tractor. And he unveiled his hack at a place where he was sure he'd get lots of attention, this year's DEF CON hacking conference in Vegas. And while he didn't reveal every detail of what he did, he made clear that anyone who really wanted to could get into the John Deere tractor software. So it did take me a while to break in. I could do it now in about an hour. But yeah, it was a sophisticated attack, as John Deere said, and it was also persistent and invasive. But it was hardware and it was physical involved, so it's not remote. Not remote. In other words, he hacked into just one tractor. But still, he was making a point to both farmers and to John Deere and company. This stuff isn't as secure as it looks, and John Deere may not be as secure as they sound. The fact that someone could hack into that system with such ease suggested that maybe anyone could. And this isn't just John Deere. They just happen to be the biggest farm equipment manufacturer on the planet. 
Zip Code's hack suggests that any piece of farm equipment that's hooked up to the internet is vulnerable. His performance ended up being the big headline out of DEF CON. I just thought that it would be interesting to people, but I didn't realize it was going to be so interesting to so many people because I thought it was just, you know, agriculture and cybersecurity. But it turned out to be gaming news. It turned out to be national security news. It turned out to be gadget news. Needless to say, John Deere wasn't really a fan of SitCode's DEFCON performance. They've been quick to say that SitCode's did a hardware hack. He disconnected the console from the tractor itself, and he had loads of time. Suffice to say... His relationship with John Deere? Well, SitCode says it's pretty testy. It's not the most, you know, we're not the most, you know, we need marriage counselling, honestly. We need marriage counselling. John Deere declined to comment about their relationship, so maybe it's not surprising that they haven't invited him to come to their factory. I've actually asked for an invite too, which is kind of weird, but they still don't want to invite me. Maybe the marriage counselling will help. When we come back, how SitCode's doom hack gave new life to the effort to repair your own tractor, and the doomsday agriculture hack farmers and government officials alike are bracing for. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. So John Deere has this rule. Farmers aren't allowed to do their own repairs on their newish high-tech equipment, which means they can't just pick up a wrench anymore. They have to have a company technician come in and do it. The techs arrive with these special laptops. They plug it into the tractor, the software diagnoses the problem, and then they order the part. You've probably seen your mechanic do that in your car. But here's the difference. If you bring your car into the shop, leave it there, get a loaner, it's an inconvenience. If you're a farmer whose margins are thin even at the best of times, waiting for someone from John Deere to show up during that small window of harvest time can ruin your business for the year. Consider what happened to Walter Schweitzer a couple of years ago. He raises black Angus cattle outside of Great Falls, Montana. And out of the blue, his tractor started just randomly shutting down. I had a sense, a gut feeling that it was something in the fuel system. I changed fuel filters. I I started running the tank at above half full, but it just kept getting worse and worse. He finally calls John Deere and... Asked if they could send out a tech to work on my tractor. They said, well, you know, we're slammed. It's hand season. Everybody's out. Broke down. They said they wouldn't be able to come out for a week or 10 days. So I said, okay, well, maybe I can... uh, Can I borrow your computer and hardware stuff so I can figure out my problem? He could call their dealer and order the part, and Bob's your uncle. John Deere says, no can do. All right, well, can I rent it? Nope. Okay, well, dang it, I'll buy the dang stuff. How, how much is it? And they said, no, we, we don't sell it. You've got to call a technician. Doesn't matter if it's hay season, doesn't matter if there's a wait. That's the right to repair debate in a nutshell. 
and it's based on every farmer's fundamental belief in self-sufficiency. So it wasn't a surprise when they did what they do best. They took matters into their own hands. So I, I live in a little bit of a rural area, and a friend of mine is a farmer, uh, Farmer Dave. Kyle Weens is the founder of I Fix It. He's part of a do-it-yourself community that teaches people to fix what they own. He called me. He knew I was a computer guy. And he said, hey, my tractor won't turn on. I said, what do you mean it won't turn on? He said, well, there's a hydraulic sensor on the tractor tread, and the sensor is bad, and the tractor won't boot because it's a bad sensor. So nothing is actually wrong with the tractor. There's just a bad sensor. This happens with onboard computers all the time. It's probably happened to you. It's a thing. So Dave, the farmer, asked Kyle, the computer guy, if he can figure out a way to just get the computer to ignore the sensor so the tractor would get going again. But there was a problem, and it wasn't technical. It was legal. If he did a workaround, it'd be against the law. A section of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act called Section 1201, which is a uh, a law that is designed to prevent tinkering. It says that you cannot bypass a lock on an electronic device without permission from the manufacturer. And Deering Company wasn't giving permission. So back in 2017, a bunch of American farmers started buying pirated versions of John Deere software in members-only online forums. Hackers from Ukraine had created a fix a kind of firmware that allowed farmers to give basic instructions to the tractor and its software. It allowed them to do what they'd always done, fix their farm equipment themselves. And it drove John Deere so crazy, farmers told us they had to sign a contract ensuring that they wouldn't hack into their own tractors, which only made farmers angrier. Why do you think farmers are so stupid? (laughs) Why can't farmers uh, use the same tooling that the dealers have? So it's fair to ask another question. Why is John Deere being so stubborn about this? Why make their customer base so darn mad? John Deere has said publicly that, first of all, the software is intellectual property, so it belongs to them. Second, they're worried farmers will tweak the software. For example, they might adjust the engine to get better gas mileage, and that could also increase emissions. And John Deere says it worries that might add to climate change. Walter Schweitzer says the answer is simpler than that. It's about how much they can charge for a tractor. On most newer models, the frame, the transmission, the engine, all of the critical pieces of that implement are the same. It's just the computer programming that makes the difference between a a 120-horsepower tractor and a 160-horsepower tractor. And, no big surprise here, a 160-horsepower tractor costs more. You'll you'll end up paying uh, 20-30% more for a tractor that all they did is change the programming. They toggle something in the software and they've got a more expensive, more powerful tractor. We asked John Deere about that and they declined to comment. Another thing they wouldn't address is this crazy thing that happened in May on the fringes of the war in Ukraine. I asked Walter about it. Oh, that's real creepy. Yeah. What creeped him out was this. These Russian Federation troops raided a John Deere dealership in Ukraine and drove a bunch of tractors back to Chechnya. You can imagine the scene. They're feeling pretty good about all their new equipment. And when they go to start the tractors up again, nothing. They won't even turn over. They'd been shut down, bricked, remotely. What went through my head is now the world will see what John Deere can do. John Deere doesn't deny it happened, but wouldn't confirm that they were behind it either. 
And CNN, which had the original story, said their source was an unnamed businessman in Ukraine. So that leaves just two alternatives. John Deere disabled the machines remotely, or some random hackers did. Either way, it's troubling. The fact that that they can make your $500,000 piece of equipment nothing more than a paperweight by pushing a button, that's disconcerting. So here's the doomsday scenario. It's harvest time, farmers are out in the field bringing in crops, haying, and a bad actor has been sitting in John Deere's networks for months, waiting for harvest time, working their way into the system, burrowing into the communication software that speaks to John Deere tractors. And no one has noticed until the hackers activate some malware. And they send a little command that tells all the engines connected to the network to start revving. RPMs go up, they keep climbing, until the engines actually die. It's not far-fetched. Kirsten Todd is the chief of staff at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. And she says these are the kinds of scenarios they're thinking about all the time. We look at the interdependencies of, you know, the Internet of Things and, quite frankly, the interdependencies of the digital economy. You know, what is critical and what is not, those lines have become more and more blurred. And she says there's a good case to be made that tractors should be seen as part of the nation's critical infrastructure and protected that way. So the fact that we are now connecting tractors to the Internet, that we're seeing an increase in more smart technologies in the agriculture sector, means that we've got to be thinking differently. And by that, she means viewing an attack on agricultural targets through the same sort of lens we might see, for example, an attack on a hospital. In both cases, lives could be at stake. Walter, in Montana, has dealt with drought, trade wars, a pandemic, skyrocketing prices, and all these hassles with repairing his own tractor. Against that kind of long list, he says he can't dwell on people with keyboards trying to turn off his equipment. If I lost a lot of sleep worrying about hackers, then they would be winning. And I don't like to let them win. Even the farmer we met at the beginning of the episode, John Abbott, says he's looking at all these technologies in a new way. He sees how vulnerable everything can be the combine, the grain bins, sprinklers that keep your crops fed and healthy. If you hacked our water sprinklers and turned our sprinklers on, that, you know, you could ruin everything that we've got. Or you make it die by keeping them off. For once, Jeffrey the rooster has no comment. This is Click Here. Over the Labor Day weekend, the Los Angeles Unified School District was hit with a ransomware attack. It's the second largest school district in the country, and just the latest in a tsunami of hacks focused on educational institutions. Kendra Hanna has more. On Tuesday, September 6th, Alberto Carvalho, the superintendent for the Los Angeles Unified School District, or LAUSD, held a press conference in an echoey middle school gym. So, uh, the big news at first seemed like it wasn't news at all. He announced that the district expected a pretty normal day of classes. Our food service program would be active. 
Just three days earlier, on Labor Day weekend, the district had discovered hackers in their networks. But here, the superintendent seemed to be saying, we've done what we needed to do. We've got mitigation in place, the FBI and Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, have been called in. We were able to stop the propagation of this event. That was the right call at the right moment. And speaking of timing. Number one, it was a holiday, so we know that nobody's watching the farm. Number two, school's about to start. It's condition red. Got to get things back fastest way possible. So it's the leverage. This is Mike Hamilton. He's the former chief information security officer for the city of Seattle and the founder of Critical Insight, a cybersecurity company that works with a lot of schools. Mike says hackers may have wanted student records, which they might be able to sell. It remains to be seen if records were lost, especially because this is California, there's going to be hell to pay. The California Consumer Privacy Act is the strongest privacy legislation in the country. It lets consumers sue organizations if they were negligent and didn't protect personal and private data. If there's evidence that the school district didn't do all it could do to safeguard student information, they could be sued. I know that there are attorneys now that are watching for these things to happen so that they can put together the class. LAUSD says they're working towards bringing their networks back up, but haven't given a timeline for when they think things will be back to normal. Schools in general aren't really equipped to deal with cybersecurity issues. But even though they're not great at handling it, ransomware attacks on schools have become common. There's been over 100 just this year. The FBI and CISA even said a ransomware group called Vice Society has been specifically targeting the education sector. They're thought to be a Russian-speaking gang. A group calling itself Vice Society is demanding money to They appear to be an overseas network. There's been They've some... probably been around about a year. The FBI also warned that they expect these kinds of attacks to increase even more. Mike Hamilton again. The incidence rate goes up as the target is viewed as viable. Maybe earlier attacks basically showed that this is a pretty easy way to make money. It's, it's not generally because the schools are doing anything different than they ever did. It's because now they've been targeted as a source of revenue for these gangs and they're low-hanging fruit. And they'll continue to be low-hanging fruit as long as schools don't have the tools to prevent these kinds of attacks. For Click Here, I'm Kendra Hanna. And here's this week's big cyber and intelligence news. Hackers tied to the Iranian government launched an attack against government networks in Albania over the weekend, marking the second time in just three months Iranian hackers have targeted the country's networks. The latest hack was leveled against the system Albania uses to track border crossings, and it came just a few days after the Albanian government cut diplomatic ties with Iran over a July 15th breach. The U.S. government on Friday sanctioned Iran's Ministry of Intelligence and a top official in response to the earlier attack. In a statement last week, Undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence Brian Nelson said that the attacks disregard norms of responsible peacetime state behavior, which includes a norm on refraining from damaging critical infrastructure that provides services to the public. Cybersecurity researchers have uncovered another Iranian state-sponsored hacking group that's been targeting government offices, journalists, academics, and opposition leaders around the world for the past seven years. According to research published Wednesday by the cybersecurity firm Mandiant, APT42, a group linked to Iran's intelligence service, has carried out at least 30 cyber operations since 2015. The size of the group is unclear, but Mandiant says APT42 is clearly well-resourced. 
And finally, law enforcement agencies have clawed back some $30 million in cryptocurrency from the North Korean hacking group Lazarus. The monies were part of the $600 million the group stole from the Ronin Network in March, one of the largest decentralized finance heists ever. The Ronin Network does bridge financing for Axie Infinity, a play-to-earn blockchain game that's massively popular across the Philippines, Vietnam, and several other Asian countries. The Ronin Network allows players to convert Bitcoin and Ethereum cryptocurrencies. On Thursday, Chainalysis Senior Director of Investigations, Erin Plant, said she joined developers behind the game at a conference to announce that tens of millions of dollars had been seized from the North Korean hackers with the help of law enforcement and leading organizations in the cryptocurrency industry. Click Here is a production of The Record by Recorded Future. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors, Darren Ancrum is our fact-checker, and Ben Levingston composes our original music, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Kendra Hanna is our intern. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, and you can connect with us at clickhereshow.com. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.